we basically buy a used company. Um, the first time we did it with other people's money because we didn't have any money. But you buy a used company with other people's money, you put yourself in charge, and you reinvent it. The closest proxy is buying and flipping homes, except you're buying and flipping companies. And you do it one at a time because you put yourself in as senior management. And there's this whole cadre of companies that don't have senior management that's ready to move on. Someone founded a company, their kids either weren't interested in the business or you know, weren't able to do it. I have Mike Zani on, uh, Z for short today. Uh, you've got pretty crazy background, Mike. You, uh, you, co- you, you were coach, uh, coach of the year in the 96 Olympics, coaching the sailing team. Uh, New, York, New York Times bestselling author, uh, The Science of Dream Teams is your book. Uh, you've done four uh, search funds uh, and exits. You're, you're currently CEO of Predictive Index, which is a market leading uh, employee assessment platform for hiring and also uh, advancing your, your, your team and your talent internally. Uh, you grew up from a, a low eight-figure to a nine-figure revenue business. Uh, also, I, I heard you're running for president of the United States this year. So uh, where do you want to start with this one? <laughs> oh, my God. When you say it, it sounds so cool. Uh, I, um, I would hide from politics. I'd jump in my boat and never tell anyone where I went <laughs> if, if, uh, if I had to run for president. Uh, I had to throw that thanks. last one in there to make sure you're uh, you're paying attention. Oh, paying attention. Uh, hopefully, it's going to be a more crowded field than it is now. Let's just say that. Um, that's great. Thank you for the very kind introduction, and thank you for making me laugh. I appreciate that. Sure thing. Yeah. So let's. Uh, I think we let's take it to the beginning. I mean, I'd love to just understand how you tick, like the beginning part of your career in this like coaching environment, sailing, very different than building, you know, enterprise businesses and, you know, the PE search fund space. So let's just like take it through the whole, the whole course, like where you started, how you ended up in the search fund PE space, how you started acquiring companies and then building, you know, now you're in tech essentially. So what what did that uh, trajectory of your career look like for you? You know, you've reminded me of this. uh, I was 12 years old. And um, uh, I, I grew up racing sailboats, and people may know of the Sunfish. It's one of the most famous sailboats ever made, and little color triangles. You see them at resorts all around the world. You could rent one or borrow one, and they're, they push on and off the beach. So I was the fleet captain of, of uh, my Sunfish fleet. I was promoting the class to get people in to race, and it's more fun to race with 10 people than three. So I would put all the stuff up. And one day the Commodore grabs me by the shoulder. And the Commodore is the, basically the CEO of the club we we're at. They just give him a fancy name. And he says, look at your board. And there was the Sunfish board and all the other fleets. He goes, what do you see? And I'm like, uh, no, I don't know. And he's like, you're the only board that's growing. You're the only board that has all the calendaring and all this stuff. He goes, you're 12. He says, I wish all of my fleet captains operated like you. And I was like, what? Like I didn't, I was scared of this human being. And he goes, you should go into sales. And I was like, <laughs> I don't even know. What the, so 
what he identified was I was a promoter, a natural like promoter, even at 12. I didn't know it at the time. I didn't, I was kind of scared of his commentary. It didn't, it didn't fit into the perspective, but you know, I went through a very long trajectory until, you know, I, I, I ran into, into sailing coaching and, and really throwing my effort behind that. And my new thing to promote was how to get my athletes to win medals. Like that was, that was the big, hairy, audacious goal. And I really think I've gone from sort of project to project to be like, you know, let's just absolutely slay the dragon at whatever we're doing. Um, and it was very frustrating because after I went to Harvard Business School, I thought this was going to fix my resume. I was like, wow, you know, people thought of me as a sailing coach, which is sort of like closer to lifeguard, you know, than CEO. And, and so I go to Harvard Business School, I figured this would fix it all. And I'm applying to get a job at BCG and Bain and McKinsey, and they just couldn't get their arms around. They're like, why do you want to be a management consultant? I mean, like, you were a sailing coach, like, you worked for a sailboat manufacturer, like, and I was just sort of like, finally, I would get to the most senior partner, and they would ask the same question. I go, every single person on your team to a person has asked me, you have a really weird background. Why do you want to be a management consultant? I'm like, listen, I've kicked ass at everything I've done. I want to kick ass for you. Like, was that really the answer though? Like what was, yeah. what was your deepest why on that? Uh, that was, I didn't even get the job. I was like, fuck you guys, you know? <laughs> and I excuse my French, but I was just so frustrated by this, like, you know, inability to convince really smart people that to look outside of this, okay, yeah, I was a sailing coach. Yes, I was a geochemistry major. You know, yes, I worked for a sailboat manufacturer. Yes, none of that makes sense for me to go work for McKinsey. But, you know, at the same time, you know, like, could you have a little bit different perspective on talent? Um, so I did a search fund. I, we bought a company and I got to put myself in charge as the CEO. That was an easy way to be like, okay, McKinsey, we can hire you now. Which one, for which, me. which was that Ledco or what was your first uh, search fund? The, the first one was Ledco, law enforcement development company. It was a small little manufacturer in suburban Detroit. We made rugged docking stations, uh, typically in cop cars, but cop cars, fire trucks, utility trucks, ambulances, military vehicles to support rugged computing, to enable a rugged computer to work for all the automated dispatch stuff that those people do. It's a big industry too. We've uh, we've worked with companies in the space that do it like rugged connectors and electronics for like army tanks or, uh, you know, like space exploration equipment, you know, rockets, uh, all that kind of stuff. It's a pretty surprisingly big industry, but it's like one of those industries that you just don't ever hear about it in the limelight. You hear about the rocket or you hear about the, the end result, you don't hear about all the little instruments and, you know, manufacturers and bits and pieces that go into making like the big product. To this day, um, one of the most obscure products we ever made is we made uh, the camera mounts at U.S. Customs and Border Patrol. So when you come into the country, you look at a camera and we, our mount is holding that camera. So my kids, they have almost no idea what I do because I've done four different companies. So it changes all the time. And the only thing they really remember is we come into the country from a trip and they're like, my dad made that. 
you know, <laughs> and, and you know, but it is a very obscure yet large marketplace. And I think that's one of the tenets of search funds is you're looking for businesses to buy that aren't sexy necessarily. And they're not front and center. They're not today, they, they're not AI or crypto. They are the things that are like, I had no idea someone made a rugged docking station for a cop car, but of course someone does. Who so knew? there's a, a lot of like more tech and entrepreneurial listeners on this show. Uh, I don't know how many understand finance and PE uh, and search funds. Can you just like do a walkthrough of what a search fund is and how you raised your first search fund? Well, to all the tech people out there, like the, the one way to say this in a, in a, in a snarky, in a self snarky way is I didn't have a good idea. So instead we bought someone else's idea and explored it being more awesome now, but we, we basically buy a used company. Um, the first time we did it with other people's money, cause we didn't have any money, but you buy a used company with other people's money. You put yourself in charge and you reinvent it. The closest proxy is buying and flipping homes, except you're buying and flipping companies. And you do it one at a time because you put yourself in as senior management. And there's this whole cadre of companies that don't have senior management that's ready to move on. Someone founded a company, their kids either weren't interested in the business or you know, weren't able to do it. They aren't sort of like in a position, like maybe senior management also wasn't good enough for private equity. So there was no fund. It was like, I want to back you, Bob Entrepreneur, to do this. And, and some of these entrepreneurs, they're 65 and they're like, I'm not working for anybody. I'm selling you my company. I'm taking the money. I'm going to give you 30 to 90 days and I'm piecing out. And most private equity firms are like, their eyes get huge. And they're like, no, no, you're going to work for us for five years. And they go, I'm not working for anybody. Whereas I would find a, an owner like that and be like, great, 90 days, you coach me up, show me where the skeletons are in the closet and all where the keys work. And then you can leave and I'll run your company. So this, this whole world of search fund is, is doing really well right now because there are a lot of boomers whose kids don't want to go into unsexy businesses. You know, they'd rather, uh, dad, you know, making rugged docking stations is stupid. I want to code, you know, for, you know, Tesla's automated, you know, sensor project, which makes sense. And yet the dad's going, uh, but the rugged docking station business throws off $6 million of cash flow, which paid for you to go to Stanford. <laughs> it's not a bad business. So you just have to find people who are interested in taking over these companies and exploring what they really can be if you unlock value. I've been seeing tech people even doing it. Uh, there's a lot of people that from tech that have come out of tech and had successful exits and were tired of competing with other tech people because you know us tech people are insane in how we compete. So then they'd go into unsexy businesses like storage units or vending machines or like other industries that are just not highly competitive you can just kind of get in and just do just execute do your thing and just you know build build a solid business out of it and there are so many incredibly solid businesses we looked at 400 companies to 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 buy four so you know 
101 ratio, simple math, you know, you look at 100 businesses. We looked at sausage processing, beef jerky, aftermarket uh, uh, cabling and cable harnesses for uh, scanning machines that spin like, uh, you know, a PET scan or a CAT scan. And you're like, oh, that's pretty diverse. And the, the, the fun part is people... They're like, are you afraid of going into a new industry? And you're like, not anymore. You know, it, it takes six months before you even have a sense of what the industry is. And some industries are harder than others. Actually, healthcare was one of the hardest to get into. We we bought a company and grew a company called Shape Up, which did uh, health and wellness. And there's just so much. It's such a huge industry, and there's so much jargon, and there's. Uh, so much domain experience. It it, it was really a, a, a struggle to understand that industry. Um, we did it and had a great exit, but at the end, I was still like, after five years, I was like, I think I'm just scratching the surface. I want to take a quick break from the episode and say, if you're enjoying this content, the best way you can say thank you is to subscribe. So if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. And if you're on one of the podcast platforms, hit the subscribe button there as well. And also share it out to your friends and colleagues. If you find this content useful and you think other people will enjoy it as well, please send it out. And back to the episode. Is uh, is Predictive Index the biggest top line company you've built or you know acquired and, and scaled so far, or were one of the other ones bigger uh, in the past? This is this is the biggest. So the we is my business partner and I and our our collection of ten high net worth individuals. Now it's seventeen, but to, to to follow up, like the 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 individuals who backed us on the first company when we didn't have money, uh, they they backed us to find a company. They helped us invest. They they put equity in. We earned sweat equity. We sold it. Returned capital. They said, "Do that again." But we've done it four times. And the predictive index, which we bought in twenty fourteen, um. It was doing 16 and a half million in revenue. You know, we're doing over 100 million now, and um, you know, so it's it's the it's the biggest. I would I would say it's it's the it's the best fundamental bones of a company. Uh, it's the industry that we have the most affinity for. It's the talent space. You know, flashback to my rant about McKinsey, and 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 being like, look at talent in a different way. Um, but it it has it has the most revenue, and I, I actually think it has the largest total addressable market. You know, every, I think so. Yeah, I would it, say every organization with people. It, it could be a mega church. It could be a sports franchise. You know, it can be a, a, a subway auto dealership, mining company, high tech. It doesn't matter. You're already, you know, I'm not going to name your competitors, but you're you're like side by side with like maybe two other companies that are at the top of the category, and it's like. You and like your other, let's say it's like two competitors own the category. So it's like name, them. A, name the competitors. I'm not, I'm not afraid of them. They're afraid of me. Yeah. I mean, you've got like disc, obviously, you know, there's you know, predictive index, you've got disc, you know, there's, I guess there's Myers Brig is another big one. A lot of companies use, uh, and then there's, there's a few smaller ones. I've used best, best work data before, but, uh, you know, it's and there's, like, there's, there's Wonderlic, Gartner, there's, uh, you know, there's, People answers. It go. It's it's everywhere. I and think you guys you guys are like really tech forward though, which which I love. Some of these other surveys, like these other assessments, you take them and it's like it feels like you're on fifteen year old tech. 
Uh, and this, the, you know, the questionnaires are long. It can take 20, 30 minutes to complete the questionnaire. And, you know, sure, they, a lot of them give out good insights, but uh, predictive index, I just took it in preparation for meeting with you today. Uh, and we were just, you know, in the, uh, you know, before we uh, started the episode, we were talking about my results and uh, it took like five minutes, not even, it was like two, two or three minutes to fill out the questionnaire. You get back your immediate results and it's just amazingly accurate i i've read i read the the two-page summary it gave me and just word for word everything was right on point uh so i love like that's putting user experience first i mean that's like a tech principle to put the user experience first and build a really great product that has a great experience around it no i i appreciate your very you know generous and kind words the the you know the founder of our company came up with that 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 science methodology 68 years ago so like it, that that beautiful questionnaire to get that assessment i i can't take credit for you know and there is amazing bang for the buck but we we have invested heavily in the software to support it this assessment believe it or not same format was done in pencil and paper and was hand scored originally and you didn't get a report you just got the pattern that you saw which uh, you know the users can't see at the moment, but you know we you know you you have to build software that says oh let's let's do a machine generated you know report or reports. You know we do machine generated fit analysis. So if if you and I if you were my new boss and you know I was starting work on on Thursday tomorrow, you know you're you're sitting here going what's gonna what what's gonna be like to work with Mike and I'm gonna be like what's it gonna be like to work with you and and. So you build a lot of of tools around around the algorithms that the original founder created. Um, if you want to share really, share your screen and show my report and kind of talk through it, feel free. Uh, up to you if you want to do that or not. But uh, oh yeah, what, what I found okay. was like the visuals didn't make like to you they make a lot of sense because you stare at them all day. The visuals don't make as much sense to me. I think you have to understand it more. But the uh, the the paragraphs that came below it that like describe in words about me that was like spot on it made so much sense to me well here 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 you have a a a, a flash and i'll do a little more explaining and uh, i apologize all the tabs at least they're somewhat they're somewhat organized i'll close my board tab um you know you are a maverick so we give you this this sort of like one of 17 uh reference profiles that's kind of like the neighborhood you live in but what you're looking at here uh i'm gonna compress it this pattern is your behavioral drives. This is this is Brian, and you have this little carrot in the center. That if you surveyed a thousand people and averaged them, you would have a straight line on the zero, which would be you. Everyone regresses to the mean. That that is the average population. Each of these, um, you can see these lines are standard deviations. So this is a standardized bell curve. There we measure four core behavioral drives. A is dominance. You are over three sigma high dominance, which means you like to put your thumbprint on things and, and put your ideas into practice. You are two sigma high extroversion, you know, so social, natural communicator. You're over two sigma low in patience. So you're impatient. You like to juggle. You, you respond well to pressure. Uh, you you actually apply pressure to yourself and others to get stuff done as a natural course. Um, 
and you are almost three sigma low in formality. So rules are sort of suggestions, structure is whatever. Um, and this thing in entirety makes you sort of this maverick, big picture, strategic, uh, very risk tolerant, very entrepreneurial pattern. Um, it, it's, it, it can be a little loose, um, you know, like, and by loose, you're like, what does that mean? And your parents might've been like, wow, it's, it's hard to sort of control Brian. And, and you're like, you're like, well, maybe that's a little bit true, but, and it was just because you have your own North star and, and drive really hard to follow that North star. And this is a big, most patterns uh, fall within uh, plus or minus one sigma. You are plus or minus three. So when your mom said you were special, she meant it. You are special on <laughs> almost, almost all four dimensions, meaning special, meaning there's very few people who have this wide of a pattern. And I'll share, I'll share this episode with her. Um, shout out to my mom, Debbie Danis, for uh, putting up with me and, and uh, raising me for, uh, for 20 years and, and sticking through it. <laughs> I know it was a hard yeah. son to raise. <laughs> so the Maverick pattern is, it, it is, it's, it can be challenging to manage, um, but as long as you know what Brian's North Star is and everything gets tied back to your North Star, it actually can, you can manage really well. And, and, and it doesn't mean I'm gonna necessarily control Brian. Like I hire Mavericks all the time, but I'm certainly not going to hire you to run my accounting department. Like you would hate that job, and after three weeks, you'd say, can I have a new job? Like, there's just too much attention to detail and too much process and too much of same, same, same. Um, however, if if you you could run my accounting department and raise money for me, <laughs> you know, and you could be like, all right, let me do finance and raise money. So it, it's really just about finding fit with what what would what would Brian love to continue to do? um in this world so i'll I'll, st I'll stop sharing there but thank you for letting me do that um and uh i i appreciate the opportunity to do a little behavioral science yeah cool i love it and we were talking so you you have let's kind of like change lanes here so you have a book the science of dream teams new york times bestseller uh we were talking about chapter two the other day the the front of t-shirt back of t-shirt uh, model, which was really interesting to me because uh, I've never used that terminology, but I talk about this a lot with people that, uh, you know, that your greatest asset can also be your biggest liability in the sense that, you know, you have the positive side and the shadow side of every trait. It's not like one thing, one trait is just not all bad or all good, but there's, you know, there's like a string that reaches both sides of the equation. And uh, you had like a really interesting like way of describing that and a framework for how to think about it. Uh, do you want to talk about that in your book a little bit? I'd love to, but first, a shameless plug. <laughs> no, the uh, we'll put that in the show notes. Up. By the way, uh, is there a certain? <laughs> is it, do you want us to link to your website or the Amazon link or something? Or where's the best place? Dreamteams.io is the uh, is the website for the book. It is a sample chapter. You can take an assessment there if you'd like to. Um, so, uh, front of t-shirt, back of t-shirt, this is this concept that is really powerful for people who want to go on a self-awareness journey and self-awareness is not the only predictor of 
great manager and leadership qualities, but it is a powerful predictor of great leadership qualities. And also on, you know, growth mindset and, you know, people who are lifelong learners. So whether you're in business or not, whether you're an individual contributor or managing a ton of people, like consider going on this self-awareness journey. So this, this, uh, actually he was a Bain partner. So while I threw all the consultants under the bus at the beginning of this episode, they do add a lot of value to the world. Jim Allen, he's a partner at uh, Bain UK. And um, he came up with this concept of front of t-shirt, back of t-shirt. And he said, what's interesting is when you are a manager about to be a partner at Bain, your front of t-shirt, all the things that you're good at, all the things that you've been told your whole life you're amazing at, like by the time you're a fifth year manager at Bain, about to be partner, that that front of T-shirt is awesome. It is like like smart, driven, business acumen. It just goes on and on. He says, but however, it's what's on the back of T-shirt which keeps you from becoming partner. Are there things on the back of your T-shirt that are so loud? They they manifest so often or so frequently or at the wrong times that they take you out from being all the stuff on the front of your t-shirt. And this, as soon as I heard this model, I was like, holy smokes, I got to figure out what's on the front of the, my t-shirt and the back of my t-shirt. And what's on the front of your t-shirt, again, your mom would would brag to her friends about, about all of this stuff. Now, and some of it's defined by your behavioral profile, like driven, natural juggler, risk tolerant, big ideas, goal oriented, all that stuff. You've heard this, but the the back of t-shirt stuff, other people know. And that's why I love this. You know, you're like, Hey, Brian, what does it say back there? (laughs) So you have to go on this journey to say like, what's back there? When does it manifest? What are my triggers? Because you're never going to get rid of this stuff. If you tried to, you'd have to get rid of the front too. Because like you said, they're tied. What's on the back? And can I recognize those triggers so I can stop them before they start? That you're like, ah, I'm about to do it again. Like you and I were talking before the show about you have, your pattern suggests, and you you copped to it and said, I can run people over. So you really try and pull yourself in in certain situations. So you don't run people over all the time because you said it happens easily and you're not doing it out of malice. You're just doing it because you're like, you're a maverick and mavericks kind of like to do that. So you, you've already gone on this journey a little bit saying, how do I pull myself in? Because running people over intentionally or unintentionally is not always well received. So you go, in certain situations, you get away with it a lot. Some certain situations get away with a little, certain situations get away with it, none. So you're like, if I want to be successful, I pull this in. And what I would say to your audience is go on this journey, like quite literally figure out what's in the front, celebrate it, try and play the game of life on the front. Front's more figure obvious though. The, front, the front's yeah. more obvious what's on there. Yeah, but you, you've got to celebrate it and you've got to make sure you play the game there. Figure out what's on the back and make sure that stuff doesn't, figure out the triggers, when it manifests. So I don't always listen. And when I started going on this journey in front of t-shirt, back of t-shirt in 2006, that's about all I had. I mean, 
And then I said, I need to know more about I don't listen. So now today, I don't listen for four reasons. One is, you know, bright, shine, I like squirrel. Like you said something, it made me think about something else. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, sorry, Brian, I was not focusing. Now that's not going to happen on the podcast because you and I are, are arcing. The second thing is I've already made up my mind and I'm not listening to you because you disagree with that. The third, and this one's really bad, is I don't respect you on this topic. That is, I hate that about me, but it's there. And the fourth thing is sometimes I am thinking about my response. So I, I listened to you for the first half of your comment, pivoted to my response, and wasn't listening to the back half of the of your comment. And that could have been the, the important part. You could have been just preamble setting up. You pivoted and I missed it. So I've given you a my maverick team. too. I'm not. I'm not. I'm almost as wide as you. I'm a persuader, which is like a cousin. I have every of a single maverick. one of those back of t-shirts that you just said. Yeah, I, I understand it. And but the thing is, this I've given my um, my employees and those close to me a safety word. So when I don't listen, they can call me on it. It's it, the word is Ticonderoga. And they're like, what? And I'm like, well, you're not going to accidentally say that. So yeah. when they go Ticonderoga, and I've even had people give me Ticonderoga pencils. They're like, yeah, yeah, you do it a lot. So, and when they do that, I go, hey, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't mean to not be listening to you. And I look back into like, which version of not listening is it? And the only one that is in a very graceful landing is when I don't respect you on the topic. Um, but like, if it's like someone says, Mike, it seems like you've already made up your mind. Can you just give me five minutes to give you my best pitch on why I think differently? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, Brian, I, I respect you. Yeah, I'll do that. So it's, it, it's something that you can even recruit people to help you with. So what about though? All right. So the don't respect somebody on the topic thing, um, uh makes sense and that and that definitely is a shadow trait but like maybe there's a positive to that too maybe if you have you know a vendor or somebody you know a partner an employee somebody who's just clearly not the right person to be making that decision and you don't respect them on that topic but they do have some sort of like form of power or authority just based on like hierarchy uh in in the environment you're working in uh is is there is there a right time when you should just make the decision and kind of make, make the call and, and plow forward with it? Or what, what's your thoughts on that? Well, that's, that's a, that's a big question about, I, I, I view it as never being a positive. I, I, I think people deserve the respect of being listened to no matter who, who or what they are. You may not like them. Uh, you may not have anything to learn or gain from them, but as a human being, they deserve that. And I, so I don't like it about myself. I, it's one of those things you're like, that's an ugly piece of Mike Zani that I try to not let out. Um, and there are times when I'm, I'm hearing someone, I'm like, I don't really give a bleep what you have to say about this topic. And then you just, you shouldn't just dismiss them, you know, give them, you're like, Hey, yeah, I don't quite agree with you or I, I see it differently. And, you know, you try and move on. You know, I got, I got in a fight with my neighbor across the street uh about politics and finally i had nothing nice to say and i was finally i was like hey you know we should probably change topics 
And they're like, why? We're having a good conversation. I'm like, I don't have anything nice to say to you on this topic. And I, you're my neighbor. I don't really want to be disrespectful. And that was the best I could do. And my wife said, you said that? I was like, that was the best I could do at the moment. And um, she goes, that's horrible. And I was like, well, it was better than what I was going to say. And yeah. and like, I, so I'm not proud of it, but I actually think every person, if you really do this exploration, you'll find stuff on the back of your t-shirt that you also are not proud of. And that means you're doing a good job of finding it. I've it's been personally real. going on that, that part of like a personal exploration uh, for, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm 35 years old now. I've been doing it for probably seven or eight years now. And uh, I think I still have more things to uncover on there. Like I know some of the, I know most of the top level categories, but like you said, there's more deep diving into those subcategories to figure out what is, you know, like maybe there's multiple reasons why I have a certain behavior. I know a lot of what my shadow behaviors are, but like the why they happen, I have more exploration on, on a lot of mine. Yeah, I, I think most people do. And it's it's this lifelong journey. Like um, there's this uh, great business mind, um, Michael Olasso, and he doesn't come from a business world. He comes from, he's he's a, a he was a former actor and director. And you're like, what? You're like, I, I didn't expect to hear that. And you're like, yeah, he's, first of all, most, if you, if you act and direct at a super high level, most of the people in that game are super talented, like crazy talented. They can sing, they can dance, they can change themselves to be anyone they want to be. It's crazy. Um, and he, he really is talking about how do you be you on your best day? And he thinks of all these, these behaviors and he coaches he coaches people on how they're perceived and, and the idea, like you've got this self-defeating behavior. It's like, you just got to, because you can't get rid of it. You just got to make sure it doesn't, you know, take you out. And I think if everyone just had that mantra, you're like, I just want to be me on my best day, most days. And you'd be like, yeah, me too. Um, and you want to enable those who work around you to be them on their best days. Absolutely. So, and if you do that, you're going to get a lot of value from your days, your work, your, your life, your relationships, and you're going to be a happier person. Yeah. So it's like in my business, CuroTech, uh, we're a, a software services company and my business partner and I, uh, she's like the exact opposite of me. Uh, she's very much like the integrator. I'm very much the visionary if we're using like EOS terminology. And, uh, so like, sometimes it works really well together. Sometimes we just butt heads and like, and then at the worst, sometimes we like trigger the hell out of each other. And, uh, so it's like, it's got like really good positives and really good and really big negatives that come out of being that different sometimes. But like you said, like learning how to work with people in a way that being aware of like your shadow traits and how the, you know, like the, how the front of t-shirt is, is a positive, uh, and understanding your back of t-shirt for those interactions like that's uh i, I think that's a lifelong journey you, you, there's never a destination on that there's always work that you can do and uh you know i'm I've, I've heard you know guys in their uh you know 60s and 70s talking about how they're still still you know living that journey of of their you know their their shadow side and and how to 
how to be the best version of themselves in 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 this world. So it's uh, it's a never ending journey, I think, lifelong journey. Uh, yeah, I think that when you when you find uh, people who've been on this planet longer than you who are still on that journey, it it can be inspirational. You're like, well, you've learned a lot and you're still willing to learn. And you you find those lifelong learners, you know, who are still curious and willing to change at whatever their age. And it 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 makes you feel good about humanity. You know, it's it's pretty cool. And you've probably seen tech forward 80 year olds they might not be great at it but they're trying you know and you're like good on you you're like you got a tiktok account right right on <laughs> i've met you know? i've met a few really sharp uh technologists that would be outside of the uh, age demographic typical in a you know in a, in a tech tech uh forward person but uh Hey, I'm curious. So on your book, uh, The Science of Dream Teams, what is the business of being an author? Like, is that is that a good business to be in? Is it more of like a marketing tool for the PI business? Or what is it? What's the business of being an author like? You know, I'm not an expert in the business of 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 being an author. I, I really feel that um, if you've got something to say, uh, say it. You're saying it through a podcast, uh, video cast, um, and uh, you know all the ways that you promote this. And I think that's great to share thought leadership. I actually started similarly. I was running a video cast called uh, Dream Teams, and it there was enough cool content, um, and I had enough access to data through the Predictive Index, um, and I was in the talent space long enough that I was like, I've got something to say on this. The, you know, that has the book paid for itself. It, it actually has, um, but that's really not the, the, the reason to do it. It's, you know, first and foremost, you have something to say. I do think a lot of people in my position as a, a leader of a company who's trying to establish thought leadership, you know, you, you do it for marketing for the company. You do it for marketing for yourself to, to you know, ideally get better speaking gigs. Um, and I think those, if that's the only reason you're doing it, it probably doesn't turn out to be that great of a book. I think if you've got something to say, um, you know, someone might enjoy it. The, I think if your book catches fire, the business of being an author can be remarkably cool. Um, you know, you get to meet and speak with interesting people like Dolph, have great conversations. Uh, Sometimes people build off of your thought leadership and make it better than you ever could. You know, I talked, I mentioned Jim, uh, Jim Allen, you know, the partner at Bain. You know, I talked to him about writing front of t-shirt, back of t-shirt, you know, writing a, a either a booklet, a mini book. Maybe it's just a, a, a business paper, Harvard Business Review article on it. And he's like, I don't know, man. He goes, you seem like you're farther ahead on this concept than me. I'm like, but you're the progenitor. And he's just like, yeah, you know, run with it if you want, you know, like everyone's got their own stuff. Um, you know, I do, I, I do think those people who are truly brilliant thinkers, you know, the Jim Collinses of the world who made us think differently, um, the Malcolm Gladwells, where they write book after book after book, and they're all really good. That's special. You know, it, it's special to find, uh, thinkers 
like that. And actually, you you meet Jim Collins in real life, and you see him speak, and he he doesn't like speaking, and he sweats profusely when he speaks, and he's kind of you can tell he's uncomfortable. He does it because he wants to get his message out there, but he, he is certainly not doing it to speak more. He wishes he could speak less, um, but at the same time, he's got so much to say. So interesting. Yeah, that's such an interesting, uh, uh, you know, uh, real thing that happens. I've heard the same thing about musicians where, you know, they're up there just like sharing the stage, you know, they're up on stage, you know, sharing, sharing the night with, you know, thousands of people almost every night over and over. And, but they have to go through like a two hour nervous breakdown, like every night before they go up on stage to go and do that performance. And it's so, uh, it's like a catch 22 to be in that situation as a performer or as somebody like Jim Collins with that sort of a, a following. And they're giving their gift to you in some respects, um, that way that they really don't want to be doing it but they somehow muster the the energy to go do it it is so they're giving that gift to the world i guess um i wouldn't certainly put my writing or thought leadership in the camp of that but uh it was a, a it was actually a very enjoyable year where i got to spend and i was scared of writing a book i was a science major you know good at math um my English teacher from high school is probably like, you, you wrote a what? No way. It's impossible. Like, so it was a scary, it was scary to write um, a book, but it turns out to be really enjoyable when you get to spend time really pushing forward your thought leadership. And I, I try to keep the cadence of writing a chapter a month. Um, so just keep clapping on. So, uh, Changing gears, I'm going to move in. I want to move back to PI and close on a couple uh, couple specific things there. Uh, we have a mutual client, uh, MEA, Mid-Atlantic, uh, Mid-Atlantic Employers Association. They're uh, like an HR uh, community for HR professionals to get access to information, documents. They have a big uh, partnership with PI for administering the PI assessment to employees. Uh, shout out to Kevin Robbins, the CEO. Uh, they, uh, it's in, one thing I found like in their, in their community, the HR professionals are like big mega fans of predictive index. It's like, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a really like the brands in those HR communities, the PI brand is like a very, it's almost like an Apple product kind of brand where there's like super loyal fans. Uh, is that something that has always been with the legacy of the company or is that something like, how did you guys create that like loyal fan base of users? Let me, let me first, let me also give a shout out to Holly De Palma, who works for Kevin, who is, uh, you know, Kevin's an amazing business, uh, mind, but Holly's really his, uh, dynamo who makes the, the PI engine tick with internally. They, they do a great job. Um, so I, I look at this when someone gives you the gift um, of a tool that changes the way you think. And, you know, someone in, in 2006, I was introduced to the predictive index and I was like, holy crap, that was really powerful. Imagine the implications if I knew this about all my people. So I went on that journey and I had a guide like Holly who helped teach it to me, you know, that was, it, it happened to be my certified partner at the time. 
And, you know, I'm still friendly with my first guide. And I think when something changes your, your perspective, you have affinity for it. I mean, some of our customers will get frustrated. They go, there's a bug in the software, or I don't like the change you made to the user interface. But there's still like, I like the, under, the core underlying science. So I, I think we have a tremendous amount of very passionate users who would bring us from company to company to company. Um, and a lot of it has to do with, yeah, we have great science. Yeah, our assessment's pretty fast and slick and gives you a lot of feedback. Yeah, our software is great. But that's, that's not it. You also have to have a guide that makes you go, aha, I see how I can use this to make my life better in, in business or managing or managing up, down, across, building teams, uh, hiring. And when you do, creating cultures, when you do, then you're like, I I'm never going to let this go. Um, it's, it's kind of like, you know, maybe a person goes, you know, likes to work out and they hurt themselves working out. And then someone taught them like, Hey, here's how you stretch and here's how you warm up and here's better technique and form and you won't hurt yourself anymore. You know, here's how you cool down. And all of a sudden you're like, thank you for this gift. Like I, I wanted to do something. I just wasn't doing it right. And I really feel that our certified partners are, huge guides in making that happen. That's awesome. Uh, then the last question uh, for you here, and then feel free to plug anything else if you want at the end. Uh, uh, you know, I, a product like PI, I, I have to ask, like, how do you guys plan to incorporate machine learning and AI? That's such a big topic these days. How do you plan to incorporate that into the products? Uh, some of it might be proprietary, I'm sure. So share share what you can share. But I'm, I'm curious, like, where does a tool like PI go with some of these advancements in LLMs and, and ML that are really coming available for commercial use? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer this question that... Um... Some people who are thinking about AI today, and we got to give a date, so it's, it's May 2023. In May 2023, we don't know whether AI is going to be the next internet or the next mobile smartphone, meaning a really big thing that changes the world. Or is it going to be Google Glass and the metaverse, which is like, eh, nothing burger. I, I'm going to answer the question as if it's going to change the world because I personally believe it is. Um, but there are going to be huge winners of, and losers as a result of this world change, just like there was in mobile and just like there was when the internet came. And the people who are going to win are those who understand how their customers use their stuff and those who are able to use their data effectively with the new tools. AI is going to do 90% of the work for us. We have proprietary algorithms on our science. We have proprietary matching between a maverick and a job. Like I, like I said, you would not make a very good controller. And you're like, no, no, duh. And I was like, yeah, but we can predict that positively and negatively. So if we apply those algorithms and our data, machine learning just unlocks all that stuff. So, you know, a fun example would be how, how many people on Curatech? How many, how, how many people? Around 80 roughly. 
80. And how many direct reports do you have? Uh, technically zero, but kind of like four or five, I'd say. So you and your partners, your senior team is four, five, seven. Yeah, mo most pretty much everyone reports up to my partner who's COO. Uh, so I'm I'm kind of okay. So let's let's take her team. So she's got seven direct reports, say. Yeah, about that. About that. So like she's got seven direct reports. Let's say she was going to hire an eighth, and the machine learning would be like, okay, so the eighth person takes a behavioral and cognitive assessment, and we're going to have the machine learning do all of the work that she's going to say. What? Let's just call, call Bob. So it's like, what, what's Bob going to be like on the team? And you could say, well, Bob is going to be either, is, is he going to make the team more homogenous or more heterogeneous? Is that team a good fit for the work that needs to be done? How, what are the joys and frustrations of Bob behaviorally, cognitively on that team? And who, who's Bob going to most likely have conflict with on that team and why? All of that stuff can be done through AI. It, it's just algorithms. It's like we understand, you know, these, you know, person A and then team that's filled with seven people. We understand those, those dynamics and we just surface them. It doesn't mean that every suggestion is right. Let's just say we give eight suggestions to your partner and only six of them are right. We're going to let your partner interpret that and go you're right bob's That's brilliant man I, I i love it's like playing out the dynamics that will develop on a team kind of like uh you know i just i'm thinking of i was trying to like think of a metaphor for that and it's like when you take particle accelerators and collide atoms or you know break apart atoms to see how the different particles interact with each other in those situations it's like recreating how teams will uh interact like when you add or remove variables how, how does that change the way the team works that's so brilliant and, and you could do it in reverse you could be having a reduction in force you might be considering moving someone off team you might be you might be cr creating spinning up a new team um and obviously with senior teams you can actually take the culture of the senior team is going to be highly predictive of the culture of the whole company um, or division, depending on you know what frame uh, you put on it. But it it's like if you can predict, you're like, here's the new team I'm going to create. They're going to lead this new division department. What culture are they going to create? How does that culture then fit in? All of that is is more or less predictable, and the machines are better at doing that repetitively in mass instead of like we're doing this experiment right now where we have a um we have a bunch of phds in io psychology on staff these people are professional psychometricians they can look at data and analyze what's going on they can look at curatex engagement data and come up with here's what's going right here's what's going wrong here are your hot spots these five managers have, you know, issues. It, it's, it's work. It takes them hours of looking at the data. We're trying to make sure that, you know, we've, we've bought a proprietary seat of, of GPT-4 and we're, we're training it so that the machine can do it. 
why, why do I need a PhD in IOPsych to do this analysis? It's looking at numbers and it's looking at open field text responses. And it, you're like, it's really good at doing those two things. Why shouldn't the machine be as good as a PhD in IO psychology? Or close enough that what you do is you do give it the answer and then just have an IO psych review it and go, yeah, that's that's good. That's what I would have come up with. 100%. I don't, I don't think it's a nothing burger for all the reasons you just said. Uh, we've already implemented, uh, my firm, Kirotech, has already implemented uh, you know, various... LLMs, we've done some GPT 3.5 and 4 through the OpenAI API uh, and a couple like customized LLMs for various clients. And it's already taking tasks or like data crunching that previously took a lot of manual effort or was inaccurate and being able to like do data classifications faster, reduce the amount of uh, disparity you might have across various humans doing repetitive tasks, and also forcing companies to think and codify their own methodologies for how they classify data. Whereas before, it might have just been judgment calls based on whatever that person's emotional state or whatever various person might have done that task on any given day. Now it's like codified into a formula. And you can benchmark what the AI says against what the average of the people would say on each individual case uh, to create sort of like a, a mapping of effectiveness. But uh, like we're 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 already doing that with clients now, and it's amazing. Like it's it's not a nothing burger for those reasons because it's already working. It's already helping companies do more with their data, and uh, you know do it for less cost and less human capital. Yeah. So the winners will engage someone like you, but the winners are you've you've got to know how their clients are using. And I'll just stop it using it. They use whatever it is they use. Do they have the data and the algorithms? Um, and if they do, there's a chance they could be the winner. If they don't, they're going to be the loser. And, you know, it might not change the pest control company that's down the street from your home, but it's going to change a lot of industries pretty meaningfully. I agree. Uh, Z, this was an awesome episode. Uh, really excited about this one. Anything you want to close on or plug before we hop off today? No, Brian, I wanted to say you're uh, you're you're really enjoyable to speak with. Keep doing what you're doing. You have a gift for it. Uh, I, I you obviously enjoy it. So um, you know, thank you for taking some of your time and doing the prep work to ask great questions. I, I really appreciate you. Absolutely. Yeah.